What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. And as usual, thank you for joining me here today. There's a lot of content out there, folks, and you get to choose what you're clicking on. And for some reason, you're choosing to click on this. I appreciate it. I I think it's going to be worth your while. Let me say say that differently. I know it's going to be worth your while. I just got done listening to today's guest for the last 45 minutes or so. And the things that that he said um, and the, the, the thoughts that he got flowing through my brain uh, are extremely, extremely helpful for me. Uh, I'm going to introduce him as a problem solver. Uh, today, we're going to be speaking with Aaron Nelson, the problem solver, because that's really what we talked about. We talked about solving problems. And that's something that I've heard consistently across industries, especially over the last couple years. My friends that work in the in the for-profit, the non-profit, faith-based, government, regardless of the industry, everyone's telling me that they're having these new challenges that either they used to have a solution for and they those solutions just aren't working anymore or they they haven't had this problem in the past and now they're trying to find creative ways to solve these problems. And that's what Aaron and I really got into. Now, uh, really what he does for a living other than solving problems is he's the, the chief of police for Kittitas Police Department here in Washington State. Uh, but we're going to get into family life though as well. Just some great perspectives from this man that has lived life and that isn't afraid of trying something new. And that's what we need to do, folks. In our homes, in our businesses, we need to be willing to try something new. Uh, Aaron didn't get into law enforcement until later in life. He actually owned a tow uh, company for about a decade. And then, um, or I'm sorry, I said that wrong. He owned a tow company. And then a decade ago, he got into law enforcement and uh, because of his willingness to take on new challenges, uh, he uh, quickly progressed to where now he's the chief of police for a small police agency. Uh, folks, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second. But as always, I like to spotlight service peace warriors. You know, for a long time, I've talked about them being our sponsor. Uh, I say it that way because I, I, I asked their permission, whether I could put a spotlight on them. Uh, in reality, folks, there, there's no exchange of money here. Uh, I really respect uh, and believe in what's happening at Service Peace Warriors. They're a 501c3 nonprofit that's raising their own money to give service animals to veterans and first responders that have been affected by post-traumatic stress. And they're doing it completely free to the veteran and first responder. And because of that, I want to constantly spotlight them because I'm hoping you're going to go check out their website I'm hoping you're going to connect your Amazon account through Amazon Smile to them so that when you spend a few bucks on Amazon, they're going to kick a few pennies over to Service Peace Warriors. In fact, at the end of this interview with Chief Aaron Nelson, uh, once we were offline, he recommended a book to me and I instantly went to Amazon and bought the book. And now Amazon is going to kick a few pennies to Service Peace Warriors. And I'm going to be part of the solution of helping veterans and helping first responders deal with post-traumatic stress. Uh, Folks, check them out today. Hey, there's not a whole lot more for me to say, folks. You're going to enjoy this. I'm excited for it. Let's jump into my interview with Chief Aaron Nelson. Chief Aaron Nelson, thanks for joining me here on the Gravity Podcast. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Really excited to talk to you. I'm excited too. Hey, obviously what you and I have have been in training together, but what grabbed my attention more recently is some of the creative outside the box stuff you're doing at your agency. And I want to get to that here in a little bit, but before we do that, can you maybe just talk about you? Uh, How long have you been a police officer in Washington state and kind of what has that experience been like for you? Well, uh, I'm a second generation police officer. Dad was a cop in the city of Des Moines and I I'm a baby cop for for my position. I've, I started in 2012 um, down in the little city of Buckley, and then I went from there to the uh, Swinomish tribe. Worked there for a long time, got a lot of experience, and then I uh, got recruited to come out to Kittitas um, right uh, around the time of our shooting with uh, uh, Deputy Thompson and Officer Chavez. So we've been been here since then, and uh, you know helped uh, Chief Taylor kind of build the agency up to. Uh, 
a functional standard because like a lot of small agencies, we were in that funk of we never had enough, never had enough staffing, never had enough money to really do any of the things that we wanted to do or needed to do. So that's that's one of our biggest uh, things that we're working on is, is just getting us up to standards. Absolutely. And I, I would think that's probably a challenge that a lot of small law enforcement agencies have across the country. Am I right? Oh, big time. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, things I talk about in LIDA, uh, the FBI leadership uh, training, is that uh, over 80% of agencies in the United States have 10 or less officers. So these big agencies like Kenwick, uh, Seattle, the, the agencies that have all these special teams and you know dedicated HR people, those are the exception to the rule. Most agencies are, are like me. They, they're trying to do all of these things with not enough staffing and not enough budget. So how do you solve that problem? I mean, I guess you could tax your people more, but I'm guessing the folks there in Kittitas don't want to get taxed enough to where you have specialties and everything in large police yeah. departments. So how do you get creative? I mean, obviously, one of the things that I read was how you got creative with staffing, but what else? What I want to get to that too, but how do you get creative with solving this, this, this police service crisis, the fact that we need to be able to provide service, but we just don't have enough money to do it. The main thing is just being willing to be open to ideas. Um, you know, I, I talk to my guys all the time and I solicit ideas. I know that I don't have the answer to everything. And, and one of the biggest things is, is listening to the guys because they have, they're on the front line. They're the ones that are out there patrolling and I can't tell you how many small tweaks we've been able to make just because one of the guys will come in and say, Hey, why don't we do that this way? And it's maybe not earth shattering, but it's just enough of a change that we're able to be more efficient. So we can put more effort somewhere else. Um, Constantly making small tweaks and adjustments like that is really how we've been able to be effective and not getting stuck in that rut of, okay, well, Agency A does it this way. So we have to check this box and this box and create these eight documents in order to accomplish this task. When really, for most things, you can bypass all of that crap and go straight to, hey, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then that'll be done and we can move on to the next thing. Yeah, I have a a buddy who's actually a retired police officer. He really has invested a lot of his time in financial planning and he equates it uh, like the big investment firms versus some of the small guys to like a, a cruise liner versus a jet ski. With the cruise liner, you got a lot more services, you got a lot more you know, resources, power behind the boat. But with a jet ski, you can turn on a dime and be heading in a different direction when that's the right direction to go, right? It, it, it just gives you a lot of flexibility. Uh, wow, I like the fact that you're including, you're really putting them in the driver's seat to solve these problems. Because my guess is when it's their idea, they're going to embrace it a lot more. It's so much easier to implement change when this is coming from, from the guys and the gals. When the, when the buy-in starts immediately with them, um, I don't have to sell the idea to them. I don't have to convince them to come along with me on my idea. It's, hey, guys, what, what can we do here? Give me your idea. And then I might shape it and mold it a little bit. But you know, when the idea starts with them, it, it's huge. Yeah. What? So I love that as a leadership principle, right? Uh, uh, empowering our folks to solve problems and allowing them to, to generate the ideas. And then, and then your job of just, hey, let's just get the obstacles out of their way so they can run ahead and solve these problems. Do you have other like solid foundational things that, that just is, is you, you know what I'm saying, that really resonates with you, that you communicate to your folks as kind of foundational leadership principles? Yeah, the, with the the base of everything that I do is that we're a team. Like I'm not, I I have stars on my collar, but I'm not above them. Like I worked patrol yesterday so that my Lieutenant could have day off. It's the, the biggest problem that I see in law enforcement in general, and especially in the big agencies is that you get administrators or detectives or sergeants that get to that point And they forget that at the end of the day, we're all cops. And I think that applies in any organizational structure, you know, from from business to public agencies and entities that just because you have a title and a fancy mahogany nameplate doesn't mean you're above doing the grunt work. And when you show the guys or gals that you're willing to go out and do that grunt work, they have buy-in and they want to help you solve your problems too. Um, That's the biggest thing. And just treating everybody like, 
I would want to be treated. Um, being a baby cop and having made it to the point that I'm at in my career, um, I'm not so far removed from patrol like a lot of chiefs and assistant chiefs and sheriffs are. You know, you get guys that get to that point that they did eight or 10 years as a detective and then another 10 years as a sergeant and then they were a lieutenant and a captain and now they're the chief. And they're, you know, three quarters of their career removed from patrol by the time they make it to that point. And they, it's really easy and it's nothing against them. It's really easy once you have run through that gauntlet to forget where you came from and to forget, you know, what it's like to work midnights and eat gas station hot dogs and drink and <laughs> stay awake. So, <laughs> You know, it, oh. it's not forgetting that. And, um, you know, uh, Adam Fortney, the sheriff up in uh, Snohomish County, one of the things that they do up there that's really cool is you see their uh, their whole admin crew will take night shift and give their night shift a day off uh, fairly regularly. And I think that's really cool. I did not know that up in Snohomish County, huh? Yep. Wow. Now, what do you think? Now, here's the challenge. And I've 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 had great discussion with with chiefs and sheriffs at different size agencies. One of the concerns that I've heard is ultimately you have a use of force, you have some kind of major incident happen. And we we have systems in place to allow for oversight so that we're doing our job as law enforcement officers and policing ourselves and maintaining public trust. What happens when you get involved in a, in a major use of force, you're the chief is your lieutenant going to investigate you? Is the city manager going to, and I say investigate you, I'm meaning investigate the incident to see if it's within law and policy. How, how does that work? Because that's the concern I've heard from administrators with larger agencies is if I step out of my lane and something big happens with me, who's going to fulfill my responsibility that I normally have? Sure. Well, it's no different than say you're just a cop on the road and you pull over your best buddy and he's drunk or you pull over um, a fellow officer within your department and there's something that needs to be investigated. Standard practice, at least everywhere that I've worked is, I don't deal with that. I call somebody else, um, typically in the outside agency. So like if I got into use of force, I'm reaching out to the sheriff's office to come and investigate that. That way it's an outside third party entity that comes in. Sheriff's office can call state patrol or call a city agency. we have to be more cooperative. Uh, we're all on the same team and we're all in this together. And that's where I see um, a lot of issues within policing is, you know, you get these silos that, you know, okay, well, this is my city and I'm going to do everything in this city. Well, there's not a lot of us. So when it comes to like, okay, I need a drone, I'm going to reach out to the sheriff's office. Hey, I need a sex crimes investigator. Ellensburg has an excellent one. So I'm going to reach out to them to, to come over and, and help us out. And the same thing applies. Like if I get any use of force, okay, well, my lieutenant shouldn't be investigating me. My civil service commission, you know, is probably going to get involved, but ultimately an outside agency is going to come in and investigate that and make sure that we're all good. I like it. That's great. Yeah. I've, I've seen that at the, the line level, both uh, at both agencies I've worked for in Washington state uh, where we're, Officers and deputies handling road calls were great about this ebb and flow. There, there's been times I've gone to other cities and I've been the law enforcement presence in that city for hours because all of their resources were eaten up at that one big call. And yeah. so, uh, and I've done the same thing as a supervisor where I've gone to another city and I've gotten with dispatch and said, I'm, I now have the city. And of course I communicate with, with their agency to make sure they want me to take their city for a while, but, but I have the city now. And if something happens in the city until we get more resources, uh, I'll be the supervisor on duty. And I just love it. I love that partnership because uh, I think that's what our citizens expect from us. Absolutely. I think that's what they expect when, when it comes down to stewardship. And, and I, I, I've never liked, never liked the phrase, do more with less, because it's like, eventually you just can't do more. Eventually you have to do less with less. And, and that's what people have to hear sometimes. But I think there are times for us to be creative like this and, and to, yeah, think outside the box, which let's get to it. Because again, this is one of the things I really wanted us to unpack. This is insanity. You guys are like on firefighter schedule. Do you guys have bark loungers there at Kittitas Police Department? We do. Yeah, we have a really nice, uh, a really nice uh, couch in our, uh, our living room. <laughs> 
the dual recliners. I, I even have a nice couch in my office now with a pull-out sofa. So when I cover night shift, I can come and sleep. <laughs> I love it. So let's talk about that. What what caused this? What was that uh, that challenge that caused you to start looking creatively to, to schedules? And then uh, and then how was the implementation? And what does it look like now? Well, when I took over as chief last May, uh, as interim chief, and my main goal was I wanted to provide 24-hour coverage. Um, it's what people were screaming for. Everybody wanted it. We had gotten approval for an additional officer just solely so we could facilitate that. And anybody that's ever done scheduling and budgeting knows you can't provide 24-hour coverage with four guys. You just can't. I mean, it's it's forced like any even a bigger agency. If you have four squads, but you have you're at minimum staffing and you don't have anybody that can backfill, you can't do it. And what we ran into is we were working 12s, um, including the chief, and we just couldn't fill the overtime. So we had a constant, um, constant holes and people knew when we weren't working. So we were seeing these spikes in property crimes. Whenever we didn't have a cop on, we would see our vehicle prowls, our catalytic converter thefts, um, and so one of the things that I wanted to do was fix that. And, you know, my first uh, thought was like every administrator was, okay, I need to quadruple my overtime budget and I'll just, you know, fill it, we'll backfill it with guys. And obviously overtime budget getting quadrupled is not going to happen. So I, I started looking at different options. I started backfilling and filling the, the shifts, but I'm just one guy. I can only work so much. And I'm the only one that was salary exempt. So you know, I was the free overtime, but at some point I'm working so much overtime that I'm missing either home time, which is really important to me because I have three daughters, or um, I'm so burnt out I can't do any of my administrative duties during the day. We started looking at um, hiring another officer to backfill. Um, the budget just doesn't support that. I mean, my whole budget is probably less than a training budget at a lot of departments. And so because of that, we started looking at some, some off the wall things and we uh, have a fire department. So the police department at city hall is on one side and then there's kind of city hall with the meeting areas and everything in the middle. And then there's a fire department on the other side. And our fire department merged with uh, Kittitas Valley fire and rescue um, six years ago, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Not positive, not a firefighter, holy. Um, but yeah, they merged uh, like six years ago, I think, and they didn't vacate the space, but it's not really used the way that it was built to be used. Um, the bunk rooms were empty. The kitchen never got used. They had an empty bay over there. There's still a fire truck and an ambulance there, and there are some volunteers scattered throughout town, but they don't really utilize the space. So I got to thinking, what if, you know, our call volume is low. What if we, we try? So we did. We tried. We did a 90-day trial period. Um, and we implemented working at 24 on 48 off. So with that, the officers, you know, are allotted time to sleep and time to eat and all that. They uh, get paid for 18 hours and then they have six hours of on-call time, which is paid, but it's paid at a lower rate. And, uh, initially the city really wanted a lot of structure and a lot of, you know, reporting on what times they're out and what time, because, the, the argument of, well, why are we paying them to sleep is pervasive. And, you know, we still hear it, you know, almost a year later and it's really successful, but uh, nobody ever asked firefighters why we pay them to sleep. I think that it's a culture change and it's a big culture change. So we started with that. And what we realized is the guys got a lot of home time and they really enjoyed the home time, but it wasn't in quite enough. Um, I'm sure you've read Emotional Survival. Most of your uh, people listening have probably read Emotional Survival. If you haven't, it's an amazing book. Dr. Bill Martin talks about the stresses of, of law enforcement and ups and downs. And, you know, if you have a, if you're a cop or have a cop in your life, you probably have a chair or a couch or something or somewhere where you sit to decompress. And what we found was the guys were getting off their 24 hour shift, spending that first day decompressing still. And then the next day, they're getting ready to go back to work. So it really, we didn't realize any of the benefits that we wanted to realize. We were getting 24-hour coverage, which was great. So goal number one was satisfied. We knew that this, okay, 
the guys are still proactive. They're still getting out and, and going and doing things, but they're being micromanaged too much on their time and they're not having enough home time. So we made a really big shift from that and went to um, a, what's called a modified Detroit. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Again, not a firefighter, so don't quote me. But it's uh, 4896, so 48 hours on duty and then 96 off duty. It's basically, you work two days, and then you have four days off. Um, so you can't see my fingers up there. <laughs> work two days and have four days off. And what we found with that is at the end of that second day, um, the guys are done. They don't want to work another day. <laughs> but you get the four days off. So even if you burn that whole first day, you have three days of family time. And it's been a huge game changer as far as uh, our citizen contacts and interactions. We were the first agency in the county to have body cams. We pushed for that a couple of years ago. And uh, I do random, you know, just go and, and check cams, uh, not looking for policy violations or anything. Just, hey, how are we interacting? What can we do better? Um, in fact, uh, the policy that I wrote in our um, policy manual, I, if I go and I'm randomly looking through and I find a policy violation, I can't use that against the officer because uh, I want the guys to want to use their cameras. And if there's a, something that's a major issue, a citizen's going to bring it forward. Um, and I don't want the guys to ever feel like admins pouring through their body camera footage, trying to find something to string them up on. Yeah. But I got off on a tangent. One of the where I was going with that is what I've seen is since we started doing the 4896, we've seen a huge shift. Even my, my hard charger, hard nose, you know, uh, fresh out of the Academy traffic guy, even he is like super nice to people and calm and takes us time with calls. Uh, I've seen just a huge increase in positive citizen interactions. Uh, the, the pulling over and talking to people about, you know, hey, your dog's off the leash. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just chat about it for 10 minutes or the verbal domestic that really should be a, a five minute call. They're, they're sitting there for half an hour and chatting with people and, you know, how can we help you? What resources can we get you? And, and that's been a huge shift because I think that's what we've gone away from in law enforcement is everybody is so slammed with calls and so worried about liability that we don't spend time with people anymore and this shift allows us to spend time with people yeah yeah why, why create the community event if you don't need the community event now community events are great but i'm just saying every single day every single police contact we get the opportunity to forge great relationships with our community and and so let's just do it there right let's do it every single day and then the major events the the fun community events are great too and then but, when they uh, show up to the community events, they already know the cops. They already trust the cops. They already like the cops. So like when we have our national night out, people show up, they already know all of my guys. They, you know, they're, they're calling them by their first name. They're, they're excited to see them in a, in a non-law enforcement environment. So it's, it's huge for, especially in a small community. Now, how, how big is Kittitas, the city of Kittitas? Uh, about 1,650 people. So yeah, very small, right? Like the size of a neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, you all know each other. I mean, yep. if not today, by tomorrow, we're going to know each other. If you're new to town and is there a school in town? Yeah, we have two schools with a secondary school and a primary school. We actually absorb um, most of the surrounding county area for schooling. Wow, so that's great. Like all the people that live out in the unincorporated county typically come here. Yeah, I like it. Hey, you don't just uh, solve problems when it comes to policing. You solve problems when it comes to snow as well. So part of being a, a small town employee is whatever the greatest need is today, everyone's getting on board. At least that's what I saw with, I think mm -hmm. it was maybe a LinkedIn post or, or a Facebook post that you'd done where you're running the snowplow. Yep. yep. So, so tell me about that. Everything here. Um, actually, right before uh, I hooked up with you here, I was out. Uh, sanding uh, the hallway and getting ready to prep to paint the hallway because it's $1,500 to hire a contractor or the chief can do it in his uh, off time because he's salary exempt. So, um, you know, we we all have to work together. And, you know, like my, my philosophy is with the agency of nothing is not my job and nothing is not my guy's job. Um, everybody can do everything. Um, 
and the same applies across the board. So if we get two feet of snow and we don't have enough drivers to drive plow trucks, I'm driving a plow truck. If, you know, we're down a public works employee right now. So if the grass gets long, I'll go grab a mower and mow it. It's it, showing that you're willing to do that goes a long way. Um, like I said, if you're willing to do the grunt work, you're going to go places because everybody is going to stand behind you and help lift you up. Yeah. No, I've seen that in my career. I was working, I started over in Linwood and it rains all the time, greater Seattle, right? Yeah. And the, the night before there was these big pooling, um, you know, water would pool up at intersections because leaves would get caught in the storm drain. And I, I cleaned exactly zero storm drains the night before I'm driving around being a police officer. Cause that's my job. Mm-hmm. And in roll call the next day, our, my Sergeant, uh, his first name was Mark. He asked, and, and he had no clue that I cleaned zero storm drains, but he just asked, Hey, how many storm drains y'all clean, clean yesterday? A couple guys were saying stuff. And he said, yeah, I cleaned three. And I went, okay, that's all I needed to hear. He didn't need to tell me to start doing it. He hearing that he did it as a young officer, I was like, if my boss is doing that, I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And he, he did, he did kind of give us the why a little bit. I think guys and gals really appreciate that, especially in 2022. Uh, he said, folks, uh, we work for the city. And when our citizens are driving through an intersection and because of the pooled water, something goes wrong with their car, they lose traction, there's an accident, whatever it might be. Uh, that is a city problem. We are to provide a safe environment, the roadway for our citizens. And that there's no city workers working all night. We are right. The firefighters are back in their firehouse sitting in their bar lounge, but we're working. I love firefighters. I really do. But I like to poke fun at them a little bit. Um, But, but we are out there and we see the problem. So we can call someone on an overtime. You didn't really mean it. Or we can get out and clean out some storm drains. And that has carried with me uh, moving over here to the east side of the state. Uh, I've seen it and instantly his face and his words are in my mind and I'm throwing on my solid blue lights so that, you know, everyone knows I'm getting out of my car and I walk over and clean out some leaves and then I carry on doing whatever I'm doing. So I love that, that mentality. One or two. So our Facebook, we have a, a department Facebook page and our following on there is roughly six times the population of the city. And part of that, the two posts that I've seen that have gotten the most engagement have been the one where I drove the snowplow and then where we had uh, officers out fixing a stop sign that got run over because we just didn't have public works available. They were working on a waterline project. Um, The citizens want to see that you're their problem solver. That's, I mean, that's, you could take police officer out of our title um, and we just be professional problem solvers. That's our job. Yeah. Well, and that's the reality, right? That's what police officers are doing every day. Yep. You guys are just taking that, that super narrow focus and bringing it out here to be more, more citywide and, and community wide. Yeah. And I'm not, Um, I'm not saying that, you know, every agency should uh, have their cops out, you know, painting city hall and doing all the things that, you know, other, other departments should do. Um, It, you know, it's just like the schedule. Um, I've talked to chiefs at big agencies about it. And it's not necessarily the be all in. I think it applies up to a certain point. Um, I think it's, it's uh, applicable to larger agencies, but the goal of it, and the reason that I'm, you know, hoping that it spreads a little bit, isn't necessarily the schedule. It's the meaning behind the schedule. Try something different, try something outside the box. Like look, look at alternative options to what you're doing now because if what you're doing now isn't working, there's a better way. And worst case scenario, if you try something new, you can always go back to the way that you were doing it. But at least you tried. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, hey, what other? Oh, go ahead. Oh, so I was going to say, so and for us, um, you know, I touched on it really briefly. But one of the other um, things that we've seen is by removing micromanagement from the officers and from their day-to-day. Initially, council really wanted us to have like really structured uh, on-call times and structured when you're gonna be out patrolling and when you can be in the office. And what we found is that actually lowered the productivity of the officers. So I stripped all that out 
and said, listen, I give you guys a gun, a badge, a patrol car, and the authority to take people's freedom away. I trust you to manage your time properly. And frankly, if you can't trust your guys to manage their time properly, you should hire new guys. Because yeah. that's that's the lowest level of trust for all the authority and things that we give to the cops. If that's <laughs> the part that, if you're managing when they can wear long sleeve shirts and how they do their time cards, that's a problem. <laughs> so we uh, we did that. We stripped all that out. We saw a huge rise in, pro, in proactivity. And uh, one of the things that we just ran, we just did a report. Um, I'm in the middle of making our state of the agency report. And as part of that, we compared 2021 to 2022 crime stats. And the only thing that we changed from 2021 to 2022 was we implemented a schedule that gave us real 24-hour coverage. And so we compared January... Sorry about that. Phone calls happen. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we compared January 1, 2021 uh, to April 21st, 2021 to the same date range in 2022. And what we found was a 31% drop in our um, activity when you subtract out traffic stops. Obviously, traffic stops are traffic stops. They shouldn't count in any of your crime data. Um, we went further and subtracted out vehicle contacts, social contacts, other self-initiated contacts, and we still saw a 25.6% drop in our calls for service. And so I, I think, okay, well, this has to be countywide. You know, this, you know, I can't, that's a big drop. And yeah, so I ran the data for our neighboring cities and for the county, and I actually saw a 16% increase in one city a 10.6% increase in another city, and then a 1.29% increase countywide. So it, it is an anomaly, and, and it's it's stuck just to Kittitas. And the only thing I can attribute it to is happy cops and 24-hour coverage. So um, we're doing that without, realistically, we should have six cops and a chief. And we're making it work with three and a chief. And so it's it's a money saver, but also deterring crime. Well, so you're still having with three and a chief, uh, you're still having to step in and cover when, when folks are on vacation or bring people on an overtime, one of the two, correct? Absolutely. And I haven't had to use, I haven't, um, my overtime budget is ridiculous. It covers like four and a half shifts for the whole year. Um, and I haven't had to use an hour of overtime since we started this schedule. Um, I step in and cover, uh, but even that, maybe one or two days a month, I don't have to cover that often. Um, nobody really takes leave, and if they do, it's it's way out, and they take two days, and it's pretty easy to backfill and cover because um, they're gone. They're, you know, they work two days, then they're off four, then they work two days. So I mean, really, your your work week now is what a weekend used to be. So you have four days to get ready for your work time. You work two days. It's basically uh, your first day on is Monday, which everybody's usually in a fairly good mood on Monday because you're coming off your great weekend. And then your next day is Friday. You're getting ready for your four days off. So, you know, you, you remove that middle of the work week funk. You, you know, everybody around that, if you're working four tens, you know, that Wednesday, you start like, oh, I'm ready for the weekend. And your proactivity starts to drop and you're really trying not to catch paper. And we don't see any of that because of they have that work-life balance now that police work robs from so many people. Yeah, no, I love it. Hey, what other officer wellness initiatives have either you guys implemented or maybe you're looking at, are there others uh, just that whole person approach that I kind of hear you doing with the scheduling? Absolutely. So uh, the first thing that we did is uh, Dr. Gil Martin's book we gave out to all the officers and their wives. Um, as we go into summer, part of our uh, monthly team meetings that we're doing, we're actually bringing the wives in and the kids in so that it's, you know, hey, you have some training. We're going to go, the cops are all going to go do training while the wives hang out. And then we're all going to get together and, you know, have have dinner together and, and build that team and build that culture. And, and I think that's that's huge. Like not and, and not just a clique, not just a squad, but the whole agency getting together and, and saying, hey, we all value each other and 
we, we want to spend time together. You know, you all matter, not just the cops, but your families too. Um, paying attention when somebody comes in, they're having a bad day, talking to them. Hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm having a hard time at home. Cool. Go home, fix it. Come back when you, when you can, you know, and, and that's huge. Being able to just, uh, in a small agency, it's easier. Um, in a bigger agency, you probably have to have your sergeants doing that, not the chief level, because um, you're not going to interact with your guys every day. But yeah. those are those are two of the really big things. And then uh, with taking over the fire station, we gutted out a lot of the uh, gear area and put in some gym equipment, so the guys are allowed to work out on duty. And we really really push and promote physical health because physical health without mental health doesn't work and mental health without physical health doesn't work. You know, you have to, you have to have that balance in both areas. Wow. I love it. You guys are creating a tribe and that's really what you've done. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you bring, when you can bring the family unit together, because again, we're whole people, Uh, you know, there used to be this, uh, you know, I'm I'm a third generation cop. uh, And so I I saw it growing up, Mm -hmm. the, uh, kind of the division from family life to work life. And my dad, uh, my dad, you know, brought it home uh, and we'd talk about stuff from time to time. Uh, and I thought that was good, at least on the, the level that he did. But uh, when you can get the folks, the kids and the spouses to be coming, I'm, I'm assuming you do this at the station in the old firehouse. Is that correct? Where you have the yep. big fam- family dinner type thing? Yep. Yep. Big family style where, you know, the, the plan is coming up. We're going to start doing the big family meetings just put out a couple of tables and bring the barbecue over and fire it up for everybody. And, you know, getting the, getting the cops home is step one. And then creating that tribe is step two to having that, that work life balance and that family life. Um, Like I said, in the beginning, I have three daughters, um, two, two are mine and one by marriage. And uh, I'll never work shift work again. I mean, I can tell you right now, if I had to leave here and go to another agency, um, I'm probably done with policing because I'm not going to work night shift and be away from my kids. I did that for the first eight years of their lives where I worked midnights and weekends and overtime and uh, missed all of the school things and all the time. And if I'm not willing to do that, I'm not willing to ask my officers to do that. And one of the beautiful things of the schedule is shift work is a thing of the past. Like, You'll, you'll work some night shift, you'll work some time at night, but even a busy night, you know, it tends to calm down about four o'clock. You can go take a little nap, relax. Even if you have to go home that first day and crash and lose that whole first day, you can still get back on your rhythm and get back with the family. And you've got three days to spend with the family and you're spending more time at home than you are at work and more time at home being present than you are recovering. Cause you, you talk about like five eights. Okay. Well do that first day you're recovering, especially if you're a graveyard guy. So you really only have one day at home because that first day doesn't count. If you're working 12s, same thing every other weekend. Great. You get two days at home, but by and large and in general, you only get one day at home. And that one day at home is spent getting ready to go back to work. Cause you have to be in that right headspace to go back to work. Yeah. Well, I like it. Hey, I see your sign in the background. It says, do good work. I, I like mantras like that. Uh, <laughs> where did that come from? Was that from a, a gift someone gave you? Is that a mantra that you've had in the past? Or uh, My wife actually gave it to me. And it's it's something I say. It's uh, very, very much along the lines of it is what it is. And she saw it and had to grab it for me. So. Yeah, I love it. But that's... Um, oh, good. No, I was just going to say that, you know, Little things like that, um, it, it it rubs off on the guys, you know. When you, when you say, you know, go out, and go do good work, um, they remember things like that. You know, you can sit and quote Sir Robert Peel and give them books to read and all that crap, but that's the kind of stuff that sticks with them. Yeah, yeah. If people aren't readers, they don't want to read, right? And so, giving right. them giving them mantras and these. Uh, these easy to grab a hold of things that 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 say a lot just in those three words, mm-hmm. right? This says an awful lot. Hey, let's unpack being a dad of daughters a little bit. I have Definitely. I have four girls, and uh, it's remarkable and as scary as possible, uh, or as scary as can be. Uh, what uh, what has that 
that experience, that ride been like for you? It's terrifying. <laughs> I, I love them to death. I've got uh, three little tomboys. They all ride dirt bikes and have a great time. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's terrifying. You know, little boys, um, I have a lot of buddies that have little boys and, you know, they break things. Um, but they're boys. You just, you let them go forth and conquer. And I, it, it's hard for me as a dad to uh, remember to, to let go and let them grow up because they're daddy's little girls. And I constantly am, am trying to shield them and make sure they don't get hurt and don't get their feelings hurt. And uh, yeah, that's the hardest part about raising girls is just letting them grow up and letting them turn into women, but it happens too fast. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And no, that's, that's been my experience as well. I want to protect them. Uh, and the idea of really, really bad things happening to them is, is my motivator there. And as police officers, mm-hmm. we experience the really bad. We see that stuff happening and it's like, man, not, not my baby. I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm going to educate her. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to wrap her in bubble wrap. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but then when they turn 18, they have zero life experience and ability to go out there and function as women, as you said. Right. And so I believe allowing, I think it's Jordan Peterson that said it. Um, that you have to let your kids do dangerous things safely. And, and I try to, I try to remember that when, when they're out doing things like, okay, I'm going to let you ride dirt bikes. I'm going to let you, you know, uh, get on the tube behind the boat. I'm going to let you go hiking. I'm going to let you go to sleepovers. I'm going to let you do dangerous things as safely as I can let you do it. Yeah. My, but, one of my, Oh, good. Oh, I was just going to say the, you know, in my professional career, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of some of the things that I've done, but at the end of the day, the thing that I'm the most proud of is my girls and, and how sweet and loving and caring they are and how much they care about other people. Um, it really shows that, that they got the attention and energy that they needed and, you know, trying to continue that. And, you know, I'm divorced. Um, like most cops, I mean, you're you're the exception to the rule. Most uh, most of us are on second and third marriages, and you know I, I listen to your marriage podcasts and, and uh, try to apply some of those to my my new marriage. But one of the things that I'm really proud of uh, doing in my life is my ex wife and I have a wonderful relationship, and uh, the girls come first in all things, and I, I really hope if. If anybody listening to this takes anything away from this podcast, I don't care if it's the schedule. I don't care about crime stats. What I care about is your kids matter more than anything else. So your petty feud with your ex-wife or ex-husband, it doesn't matter. What matters is have a great relationship. Let the kids see what that looks like. And even if you're divorced and it's irreconcilable, be kind to each other and let them see that because they're what matters. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I already have a lot of respect for you, Aaron. Uh, and now I have a lot of respect for you and your ex-wife, not even knowing her just off the shelf. If you, if the both of you can find that middle ground and that's where the kids are, that's the middle ground, wherever the kids are at. And sometimes you need to give up more. Sometimes she probably gives up more and you just have to go back and forth with it. Absolutely. Uh, because you're right. This job just chews people up and spits them out. And, um, and it, it affects our family life and oftentimes our marriage. That's where the strain mm-hmm. oftentimes happens. And, and I've seen it, uh, a lot of times, but, um, but then we sit there and we learn and we say, all right, where are we at now? And, and focusing on kids is, is definitely the focal point. I didn't know we were going to go here. This is good stuff though. This is really good stuff that I hope people are, are processing and unpacking, whether it be their uh, they've, they've gone through a divorce, right. And they're, they're trying to figure things out at this point or, uh, whatever season of life they're in. Um, yeah, just again, it gets back to those foundations. What are our foundations in life? And I would say our, I don't think my kids are my foundations, but my foundations lead me to prioritizing my kids and and helping them grow up to be wise. I I was going to say this, my 16 year old just got her license. Oh my gosh. And she's, she's a really good driver. Uh, so like, I don't have fear of her getting in a wreck, but she wanted to go to the mall and she took my, asked to take my, my youngest daughter with her. And, and we thought it was a great sister outing. So we said, yeah, go do it. But as she's gone and this was yesterday, 
I think it was yesterday. As she's gone, my brain is in cop brain now. I'm in, I'm in active shooter brain. Yeah. I'm in when, when there's some kind of threat of violence at the mall, have I prepared her? I know I've had the conversation of what to do. And, and now she's the leader, right? I mean, she has her younger sister with her. And now I'm entrusting my 16-year-old to make wise, critical incident decisions. And I chewed on it for probably about a minute. And, and I was like, um, I think she's smart. I think she's going to be able to figure it out. And, and if she doesn't, she doesn't. But I, I think she can. And, and then I got back to my stupid irrigation and all the problems with it because I was turning it on yesterday. Uh, but yeah, that, that's the tough thing as a dad of girls, I think. And I, maybe I would feel the same thing as a boy. I don't know. That's not my experience. I have four daughters. Yeah. Um, but it's that, have I gotten them ready? Have I gotten them ready for the absolute um, profanities mm. of this world? Because that's what the world gives you sometimes. The absolute, just heart-wrenching garbage. And, and I always worry that maybe I just haven't quite done enough. Yeah. Well, I, don't know. I will say, I know a lot of dads of boys. And we've had these conversations and, and it's, it's pretty much the opposite. They don't worry about, they don't worry about that stuff. They, they worry about like, okay, is he playing enough sports? Is he going to get into college? If I prepared him for, uh, you know, getting a job after school, you know, did I give him enough fun experiences that he's still going to like me when he graduates? Like those kind of things. Um, Whereas dads of daughters, it's we're constantly, I'm, I'm constantly terrified. Whenever they're not by my side, I'm constantly worried about what are they doing? Are they safe? And, you know, like I said, my, my ex-wife and I, we have a great relationship. Her longtime boyfriend is, is wonderful to my girls and is a great male role model. And I know he's a great protector for them when, when, she, when they're there, but I can't help but worry. Yeah. You just said something else that just resonated with me was that when they're not by my side, I was in downtown Seattle trying to get into the bed and breakfast. My wife doesn't get a bed and breakfast in downtown Seattle anymore. Because she, it was a great bed and breakfast on the inside or Airbnb. Inside yeah. looked phenomenal. We were in downtown, I don't know what you want to call it, Hobo, Seattle Lane or whatever. Yeah. And I'm, I have a, 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 a guy who is clearly in some kind of meth-induced mental health crisis and he is about 15 feet from my family and my wife can't get the code to work to get into the building. And I was concerned, but I wasn't scared. I, I put myself between my daughters and, and, and me, and, and hopefully this, this, this guy was going to move on, or he was just going to deal with whatever he was dealing with by himself and we were going to be okay. But if he, if he didn't, I was going to solve the problem. There was zero, zero fear in my mind. Whereas my daughter going to the mall scares me. Yes. And she's going into bed, bath and beyond. And I'm, I'm scared of that because I'm not there to solve the problem. I think that's what we do as cops. So like, it gets back to what we talked about before being problem solvers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, what's, what's, what's next? What's next? I don't know. Professionally what's next. Now, I'm not talking about like, like, like what's your next challenge that you guys are looking at that you guys are maybe trying to solve. Um, or next initiative that you want to kick off? I don't know. The next big thing that I'm working on, and it's uh, we're still in the very, very baby stages, but uh, what I want to do is I want, we're small. We're, so we're two, two and a quarter square miles for a city. And um, I want to age out our fleet and replace it with all electric. And that'll be, um, I think my next big thing. I've been working with the Department of Energy, uh, Clean Cities Coalition, and with Puget Sound Energy trying to make that happen sooner than later. Um, we have an electric, one of the Mach-E Mustangs that my wife drives, and it's been eye-opening to me how good it can be for the city cost savings wise, but also, you know, it, it's all, there's, there's lots of trickle down benefits to it. Um, you get new cars, you get, uh, lots of grant money when you do things like that. Um, money that I could use to pay for cars that I can then use elsewhere because I don't have to pay for cars now. Um, and I, I also don't like the phrase do more with less, but it's my reality. Uh, my, my budget is what it is and the city can't afford to give me much more. So I have to get really creative. So if I can 
find money in one place and then I can shift money that's already allocated somewhere else. Um, that's a huge win for us. Yeah. And in my mind, you're not doing more with, with less there. You, you're being creative and you're finding other funding sources or, or other ways to meet those same needs so that then you can, you're actually generating revenue for yourself pretty much. You're creating more money for yourself to spend because I can't even imagine for an agent, your agency, your size over the last couple of years with all the different mandates, you're, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And a lot of them have been unfunded. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy smokes, our, our taxpayers uh, can't, unless they, we just don't have the money to do all this mandatory stuff. So you really have to get creative. You, and that, that goes back to the heart of cooperation like we talked about earlier. Um, Inspector Whitsett at the sheriff's office has been invaluable for helping me wade through the mandates and wade through our 1980s policy manual and update things. We have Lexapol now that we're implementing to update that. But at the end of the day, I, I can't do everything. I just can't. Um, yeah. With four of us, it's impossible. And so we've leaned really hard on the sheriff's office and on Ellensburg. Uh, to help us uh, fill some of those voids and we wouldn't be successful without them. We're, we're able to do the things that we're able to do because of the cooperation we've built with our neighboring agencies. Yeah. Wow. Well, brother, Hey, I appreciate you. Uh, if people want to follow what you're doing, are uh, what's the best way for people to check you out? LinkedIn, uh, what, what kind of professional forward yeah, facing? Uh, you can follow me on, on LinkedIn. Um, just my name, Aaron Nelson. Um, otherwise follow the city of Kittitas police department on Facebook. We post pretty regularly on there, uh, post our updates. And I try not to, uh, you know, when articles come out and, and it's specifically about me, I try not to post them on the Facebook page. Cause I want, I want the agency to be the focus, not me. So, yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, for the listeners, LinkedIn. go ahead. What was that? So those go on LinkedIn. Well, for listeners, whether you're consuming this on YouTube or on a podcast platform, just check out the descriptions below and those links, both for Kittitas Police Department and for Chief Aaron Nelson will be down there and uh, definitely worth following. Great content being sent by both. Brother, uh, time is my most valuable commodity. I can't create more of it. And you've just given me a chunk of yours. I really appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. And I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Yep. Have a great day. You too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Chief Aaron Nelson as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, Folks, we want to hear from you. Jamie and I are constantly wanting feedback on how we can be better at this. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. First and foremost, if you haven't done it yet, regardless of whether you're consuming this on YouTube or one of the podcast platforms, please follow us. Uh, Follow our Two Feet on the Ground Gravity podcast channel. Like it, share it with a friend. If you're consuming this on Facebook, on Apple, or on Spotify, you can rate and review us. On our main page, there's five little stars that are waiting there. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating if we've earned it. You can also shoot me an email at chris at gravityct.com and let me know of future Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Go and take care of the folks in your tribe well. Love each other. Take care. God bless.